Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources. Whatever the economy is doing poorly, of course, the, the knee-jerk reaction for most of us as Americans is to blame whoever is sitting in the White House behind the Resolute desk. Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. Uh, it seems to be the president's uh, responsibility. So the question then and the nuance we want to get to and kind of beyond the headlines of these kinds of things is how much power does a president really have over the economy? How much is timing? How much of it is business cycles? And to help us break all of that down, Brian Riedel, a uh, friend of the show, and uh, great to have him back on. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, Brian, you have some uh, great insight in terms of how do the presidents really play into what's going on in the economy? Yeah, this is something there's a lot of misperceptions on. And I have an article, if you uh, Google National Affairs, uh, the article is titled Presidents as Economic Managers. And one of the things that shows is how little control presidents actually have over the business cycle. And in fact, the most important driver of how many jobs are created during a presidential administration is the economy they inherit. And it's actually interesting and a little the opposite of what you might expect. Since 1976, presidents who inherit economic booms likely see the, the business cycles fall down and see a recession. In fact, four of the five times they've seen a recession. Presidents who actually inherit recessions or sluggish economies come in at the right time when the economy is growing and usually end up having very good job records. In fact, presidents who inherit weak economies create three times as many jobs as presidents who inherit strong economies. So really, if you want to, if you're Going into the Oval Office and you want to have a strong jobs record, you're actually better off getting elected at the bottom of the business cycle during a recession and riding the wave up rather than getting elected during the, the towards the end of a boom when the economy on its own is probably going to dip. Uh. So fascinating. Uh, and you, you point out uh, in this uh, article, again, you can check this out at National Affairs. We'll post it on our social uh, today mm -hmm. as well. Uh, you, you talk about making sure that we don't do what we all love to do, and that is to confuse correlation with causation. Tell us about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're all taught that just because, um, for instance, Ten of the basically ten of the last eleven recessions have begun under Republican presidents, and so people say, "Well, case closed. Republicans must do a bad job on the economy." But if you go back to what I just mentioned, there's an interesting political side to this, which is that for the last forty years, 
We have continually elected Republicans during booms and only elected Democrats during recessions. The last three Democrats to get elected uh, uh, for, for their first terms were in 1992, 2008, and 2020. All three were during or coming off a recession. Mm. And that means that every time we've had a, you know, a, 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 an economy about to take off, we've elected a Democrat. But then every time these presidents finish their two terms, we've elected a Republican every single time. Uh, what that means is that if you keep electing Republicans every time the economy is booming, then by definition, a Republican will be in office when the, when the next recession begins. It may take 12 years like it did during Reagan and Bush, but as long as you keep electing Republicans throughout booms, then of course you're going to have a Republican in office when the next recession starts. And then you're going to elect the Democrat during the recession, and of course they're, they're going to ride the wave up. And it's been a very pure and predictable cycle for the last 40 years. Oh, I think that's so fascinating to look at. Again, it's so easy to just do the bumper sticker stuff uh, on all of this. And, uh, of course, we're, we're equal opportunity offenders here, and uh, we will call out both the Republican and the Democratic presidents who've, I think, been equally reckless when it comes mm-hmm. to, to budget and spending issues. Uh, as you look closely at this, uh, Brian, what are some of the other interesting things that uh, come out of this and really taking a closer look in terms of what impact does a president have on the economy? Well, you know, I just to step back just and also make another point on the uh, correlation point. Um, you know, if, if you people want to play this game, I found that 97 percent of all war dead in the last 150 years have come during Democratic presidents or wars that began or escalated under Democratic presidents. But we don't say Democrats cause wars. We don't say that Democrats cause World War Two or Democrats cause World War One. But you just get these weird correlations. Democrats are pretty much almost always in office during major wars, uh, at least the ones that cause the most casualties. And Republicans are almost always in office when recessions begin, even when the recessions aren't really driven by anything the president did. Donald Trump did not create the pandemic. George Bush did not create the housing crash. A lot of earlier recessions were driven by the Federal Reserve or um, oil, oil embargoes with the Middle East. The presidents aren't causing these recessions. Their policies matter. And they matter over the long term, but they're not driving short-term booms and recessions. Uh, that's so. Uh, that's so vital. So, so as we look at the president, how should we view the the presidency and the executive branch uh, when it comes to things uh, relating to the economy? Well, I think we should judge them by what they can control and what they can do. Um, we should take into account when a president is elected. What's the general trajectory of the economy and how much are they changing it? Um, we shouldn't assume that it's a blank slate. We shouldn't compare presidents elected at different parts of the business cycle. And then you should keep, keep focus on the long-term effects of their policies. Um, regulations, if there's a lot of red tape, you might see slower long-term economic growth. If taxes change, that can have long-term effects on economic growth. Generally, lower taxes create more growth. If they significantly raise budget deficits, that can have a long-term drag on economic growth. I think you want to think about what a president does and how it, does it make the economy more productive? Does it make people work, save, and invest more or less? Does it make it easier or harder to create jobs, to be educated, to create businesses? But don't get caught up in the next quarter's GDP because 
these are the kind of things that take years and sometimes decades to play through the economy. Uh, and this is so important. I, I just want to pause here for a second <laughs> uh, for our listeners to just really think this thing through. That, that Brian, what you're really saying is that when we're looking at presidencies and we're looking at political parties, you, we really have to look at the long game in all of this. Because, again, you can't say, well, it was the tax cut of a year ago that you know spawned all of this. Unless you're looking over a 10-year window uh, or all the spending that has been piling up uh which forces us to get out of the headlines, to get past the headlines, to get past the, the things that pop up in our social media feed uh, and actually look at the business cycle, as you pointed out, uh, to look out at, at the factors that may have impacted, whether it was an increase or decrease in regulation, whether it was spending or taxes. Yeah, you really, We really have to think different, which is going to require all of us to have to think just a little bit deeper. And it's, and it's tempting not to do that. It's so tempting to constantly pretty much consider the president an election just a referendum on the business cycle. It's so easy to see the headlines. The economy did this today. The economy did that yesterday. And we end up blaming the president when things go wrong and giving the president too much credit when things go when things go well you know and, and like i said if you judge it against the business cycle interesting things come out like you realize president obama's first term as i explained in my article it's not that he was a miracle worker because the recession ended. It's that he actually underachieved because we got a really slow recovery compared to where the business cycle should have been. But, but even then, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was President Obama's fault because he doesn't drive the business cycle. Um, his policies don't drive the business cycle. But it gives you a different perspective on the fact that he was kind of seen by many as a miracle worker when really his, his policies didn't have a big short-term effect either way. And the economy actually grew pretty badly out of that recession. You kind of, it's, it's hard to look past the simple politics of the short-term economy, but I think you're better, you're a better voter if you do. Uh, that's, uh, that is the point we're going to end on. It takes effort to be a better voter, and we want everyone to be better voters and uh, more engaged citizens. Brian Riedel, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. It is a great article. It's on national affairs as presidents, as economic managers. It is worth a read. If you're going to read something, don't just scroll through your social media feed today. Dig deep into some real analysis uh, that will give you insight uh, into presidencies of Republicans and Democrats alike and business cycles and the things we really should be thinking about. Uh, Brian, as always, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right, and that's Brian uh, Riedel from uh, the Manhattan Institute and really is a great piece. It's worth taking some time. If you're going to take time on social media today, read something that's going to make you smarter, make you better, help you understand how all of this impacts you and your world. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. A very busy day here on Inside Sources. Stay with us. Much more to come on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, 
the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.